0: Hello left fielders, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go.
1: Investing passively is an interesting statement, especially in this space. Okay. I think I would never advise somebody to just invest into collecting anything if you're doing it just for financial reason.
0: left field investors. We are passionate about real estate investing, but we don't want to deal with the three T's, termites, toilets, and tenants. We think real estate syndications are the best way to build wealth without being a landlord. However, many real estate syndications can have a cost of entry that is too high to diversify effectively. Enter TribeVest. TribeBest is the platform that allows you to invest as a group with like-minded people and accomplish more together. TribeBest allows groups to pool their capital, set up their multi-member LLCs and bank accounts, plus help with operating agreements, funding rounds, and so much more. When you invest as a tribe, you can get into more deals with a level of confidence that is hard to match by yourself. That's why I'm in 11 Tribes. TribeBest is the premier partner for left-field investors. And what's even better is that all left-field investors get premium onboarding for free. Go to tribebest.com LFI to start your tribe today.
2: Listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by Tribe Best. The mission of Left Field investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Pfeiffer will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community.
0: This is Jeremy Roll, and you're listening to the Pass Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm really excited today to have Rich Vinhays with us. He is the CEO of Wax. It's a company specializing in the collection and protection of rare items. The collector's community is a market that's quickly gaining steam, as it's expected to be valued at over $500 billion by 2025. Today, Rich is going to give us the the behind-the-scenes peek into how collectors can learn to leverage his growing market potential to personal advantage. And also just talk generally about collecting because it's going to be very different than the normal passive investing from left field podcast. This isn't real estate, but this is, could be a type of investing. So super excited. Rich, welcome to the passive investing from left field podcast.
1: Appreciate it, Jim. Happy to be here.
0: So the first question we always ask is, what's your journey? Usually we're asking, how did you get into real estate? In this case, how did you get into collecting? How did you make this into a business?
1: I've been collecting a lot of random things ever since I was a child, but I'm primarily into collecting watches or timepieces. And that's something that goes back to my early years, especially high school. And for me, it's always been more of a way to differentiate or kind of stand out stylistically. I mean, there's only so much you could do as a man in terms of kind of flexing your individuality. And I always found that to be the case through the timepieces that you collect. And I think what's happened over the years, and especially over the past 10 years, just like any type of special interest you get into, as you get deeper into it, you start realizing how big of a rabbit hole it is. And then it just starts unlocking different levels of appreciation and of course, different values with the types of collectibles you're you're collecting.
0: So what are collectibles? I know you said watches. I know I have some Star Wars cards from the 70s in my basement. I have some marbles and I have some football cards and things like that. And I even have a beer can collection. So I'm kind of a minor hoarder. My wife would love me to get rid of them, but I can't bear to throw them away and I don't know how to sell them. So I have an idea that your collectibles are higher grade than, uh, than what I collect. But can you just talk about the industry of collectibles generally and what people are collecting, how it works. And like, I have no idea what I'm talking about, which is true. And just explain the whole industry to me, if you can.
1: Of course. And look, first and foremost, before I get into collectibles, I think it's important to note, I, I come from a management consulting background. I did that for about 15 years and it was in the financial services space before I kind of took a leap into a venture-backed startup experience, which is in the collectible space, but also lends itself nicely to financial services and insurance because that's part and parcel of behind what we do. But collectibles in general, when you think about it, we're talking about physical objects that anybody could collect. So the things that you just referenced that are tangible assets that have the potential to appreciate over time. And usually there are things that could often be physically engage with, so like trading cards or watches or handbags even. Now, the traditional view of collectible categories have always been seen as like fine art, stamps, rare coins. That's kind of when you think of traditional collectible categories, those are kind of like the big three. But what's happened over recent years and really since the start of the pandemic when there was kind of a bit of a a resurgence in interest and across a number of these collectible categories, that lane of interest has expanded into things like collector cars, watches, whiskey, wine, sports memorabilia, ticket stubs, comic books, sneakers, and the like. And as you'd expect within each one of these collectible categories, there's like a whole level of special interest group behind them. There are car guys and gals that are kind of deeply entrenched in the collector car community that go to car events and different shows all over the world similarly with watches as well. Like I go to not as much as I used to quite a few random meetups and I've met with people literally all over the world to just talk about the watches that they collect, that they have, that they appreciate. And very often it's one of those things where socioeconomic divisions are kind of cast aside. So you could have somebody that is there with a $250,000 watch and you could have that another person that they're engaging with that has a $250 watch but there's a level of connectivity and interest behind why they are interested in their respective pieces. And there's usually a story or a milestone or an inspiration or an achievement that's kind of tied to it. But what has happened over the years, Jim, is that these categories have just gained not only popularity, but a level of interest and value. And they're now being seen as legitimate alternative investment strategies. That's never been the case before. Because in years past, like when I would buy a watch, it was almost like buying a car off the lot. Like it just drops in value immediately. That's really no longer the case. You buy a watch now, or if you're fortunate enough to get access to a rare piece, it's not uncommon for that watch to sometimes be worth two, three, four times the next day of purchasing it at retail. Of course, the rub is being able to get access and understanding what those pieces are. But what's happened is that there's been so much money that's been thrown into these collective industries. So people are investing in them because you get to invest in things that you actually enjoy and like. It's a little bit more interesting than investing in the the stock market where you're just kind of looking at a ticker bouncing up and down. If you could hold on to a watch or a comic book or something that kind of strikes you, you could actually tangibly appreciate it and use it in many instances. And I think that's led to kind of a deeper level of engagement in the community. And that community has then propelled interest in the group. And it's just turned into a space that it's drawn a lot more capital into the space. So you see a lot more institutional capital being thrown into the space. That's why I see a lot of startups that are in these types of categories, but it's turned into a legitimate business all by itself. And I'll kind of reference a couple examples of collectible categories that have done really well on news. And just over the past couple of years, ironically enough, ticket stubs, ticket stubs, and I'm talking about literally at, you go to a football game or a baseball game, you get the physical ticket stub because those ticket stubs are no longer as given out like they were in the past. They're usually digitally created now. So there's right. not a physical item that's handed to an individual as they're entering a facility. But in years past, like you go to Michael Jordan's last game, And if you have a ticket stub from his last game, well, guess what? There's a level of appreciation for those items. And back in February, 2022, there was a ticket stub from Jackie Robinson's debut in 1947. It sold for $480,000. Collector car, it was a Mercedes-Benz, a 1955 300 SLR that sold for 142 million. Spirits, that's also an extraordinarily popular space. A lot of our clients invest heavily into wines and spirits, where a 1975 single malt from Ardbeg Distillery was about 440 bottles sold for about 16 million pounds. And the list goes on where you see these pops of interest and investment in these categories because of the scarcity and presumably the potential upside of these things over time. But as with any type of investment category, as you'd expect, As you start throwing more and more money into a collection that you're building, very often it needs to be protected. And that's where Wax comes into play. We've kind of carved out a niche for ourselves where we specialize in investing or protecting in collectibles. And we're backed by Chubb, which is one of the largest insurance, high net worth insurance carriers in the world. We provide the tech and the understanding of the collector mindset to make sure that we're kind of appraising them correctly and giving them the protection that they need.
0: Okay, I wanna get into the wax and the insurance part of it, but I have a bunch of questions. You talked about some of the different types of collectibles, sports tickets, concert tickets, as you said, those are gonna become more rare because they don't have tickets anymore. Yeah, Everything's digital. So if you're not a collector like me, I have a basement full of stuff that I've been accumulating my whole life because I don't throw stuff away. So how do people know, oh, this ticket is worth something and this ticket isn't or whatever you have, like people were collecting baseball cards as kids or different things. How do you know if you have something that's worthwhile? That's kind of part one. And then you talked about these communities. How do you find these communities? Is there eBay is always the place I thought you go. And at least when I was for a while, I was trying to buy some old tickets. Where do you go? What are these communities like? Yeah. I
1: mean, two important questions, certainly. I hate to answer a question with a question, but seeing that you guys specialize in real estate, how do you know a piece of property is truly valued, what it's valued at? You get a sense of the comps in this space, you get a sense of what type of investments being made in a particular area. It's no different when you're talking about collectible categories. Some of them, they have a tendency to fluctuate with at certain periods of time during auction seasons, there tends to be a flurry of activity where people are trying to prop up values of these collectible categories. But at the end of the day, it comes down to scarcity of the item and how difficult it is to obtain. And the more difficult it is to obtain, generally speaking, there's somebody that wants it. And especially if it's something that they're genuinely passionate about. I know a variety of collectors out there that are obsessed with, like, for instance, all things Michael Jordan. And Sotheby's had an auction just a few weeks ago where they auctioned off one of MJ's game-worn sneakers and it sold for like $2 million. A pair of sneakers. A pair of sneakers. But you have to put yourself in the shoes literally and figuratively of the individual that made the purchase. In their head, they're probably thinking, MJ's still alive. Extremely rare item. I bet you in the next five to six years, I could sell that thing for two or three X what I'm purchasing it for right now. And that's how a lot of these individuals think. Now, ironically enough, a lot of these folks that invest in collectibles, they're doing it because they're genuinely passionate about it. Like I collect watches I have for a long time. A lot of my watches, to this day are way above what I paid for them, but that wasn't by design. A lot of these things are purchased because you're passionate about them. Like you care about these things. Like, for instance, I, I bought a watch. An Audemars Piguet to kind of commemorate my son's birth. And I really went to a lot of lengths to figure out how to get access to this watch. And it was a fairly pricey at the time, was a little under $20,000. And I got it because I thought it'd be something beautiful to hand down to him one day. That's precisely why. But since the purchase of that watch, that watch at its peak, now there's definitely, this is how you know it's a real market. There are ups and downs in the market at this point, because more and more people are investing into it. At its peak, that watch was closer to $60,000. Wow. I mean, if you're in the game to engage in the secondary market, which I have a lot of friends that do that, and they do very well as a little side hustle. And some of them, they're full-time businesses where they're watch dealers. They are making significant money. But you, just like anything, you need to know what you're doing. And that level of education and understanding of the rarity of the items, the exclusivity, how difficult it is to get access to them. That just comes with engagement in the community. And that goes to the second part of your question. The community, all of these communities, they're just wired a little differently. When you look at the watch community, there's literally meetups every week all over the world in the most interesting situations, the most interesting circumstances. So there's this group called Red Bar, and they are one of the largest watch collector communities in the world. And they have about a hundred and 30, 140 different chapters, a lot of them based out of the largest geographies that you could think of, major metropolitan areas, but they're kind of scattered all over the place. And these, each one of these groups, they literally meet up 15, 20, sometimes 30, 40 people. They get together over drinks, they bring watches, they talk about watches, and it's just a hang. And it's no different than going to a collector car meetup or things of the like, but every one of these communities have a different wiring. For me, it's more about the watch community, because that's something that I could kind of engage with, but it's certainly turned into a space of significant investment. And it was done with all the right intentions initially, but now you have so much more money thrown into this space that, of course, it's propping the market up and it's kind of pricing out certain individuals that are buying for very different reasons than speculators.
0: Right. And I guess speaking of speculators, if someone wanted to get into this as an investor, is there a way to do it more you know left field investors we are always looking for passive cash flow so is there a way or just passive appreciation i think this is more on the speculation end right because it's not it's not going to produce cash flow like a real estate investment might it is speculation that doesn't mean it's bad i think you just have to understand what it is going into it but if an investor wanted to get in how do you do that? Like, I'm not passionate about watches, but our community, we're passionate about finding ways to make money. So, is this another way that we could invest? And if so, how do we do it passively? And again, when we look at real estate, I don't care what the building looks like. Obviously, it has to be a nice condition, but I'm not passionate for that particular piece of property. I'm looking for the cash flow and the appreciation. So, we're coming at it a little bit differently because it's not necessarily something we're passionate about. So, I guess the question is if we don't have this passion for particular collectible, Asset class, can we still get in and invest passively in something like this?
1: Investing passively is an interesting statement, especially in this space. Okay. I think I would never advise somebody to just invest into collecting anything if you're doing it just for financial reasons. However, I know many people that do. When you start seeing firms like Morgan Stanley issuing reports that talk about the state of the financial, of the watch collecting market, all the top brands, the returns that you're seeing year over year, there are people that are obviously investing in this, like very heavily and significantly. There's nothing wrong with it. What I would say is that it's imperative that you kind of understand the types of brands out there. There are modern brands that are independent brands. There are high production brands like Rolex that are producing a lot of different pieces every year, almost a hundred pieces every year, where the average price point is rather modest. It's not too heavy, even though most people kind of associate Rolex with a top tier brand, which it is. They kind of specialize in scale, bringing a luxury product at scale to individuals. So paying $10,000, $15,000 for a watch, while significant, and it's a great watch, you can't go wrong with it, there are independent brands that have come out there like MB&F, Urwerk, where their production volumes are like a few hundred pieces a year, but the entry-level price point for these watches are like seventy five, dollars $100,000. And now you're talking a very different level of investment and understanding, because if you're dropping that kind of money for a watch, you're really thinking, I think gone are their days where you're accepting that it's going, the value is going to drop off the day you buy it. I think now there's a level of understanding that there is a level of liquidity in the purchase that you're making. The question then becomes, the deeper you get into this space, and this is why it's imperative that there is research and homework, and there's tons of blogs out there. And I'm just talking about watches because that's a little bit of where my passion is. There are tons of blogs out there that kind of educate and inform on the different brands and what their releases are. It's important to understand brands that are out there, the volumes that they're kind of introducing to the market, the limited editions, the scarcity of these pieces, and then understanding kind of like the tone or temperament of the market. Because some pieces get hot at random times, and it's usually dictated by the collectors themselves. When you're on Instagram, for instance, a lot of the people in the watch collecting community, especially those that really invest heavily into watches, you almost know who they all are. Because they're very well known, they have significant multi-million-dollar collections. A lot of them, people are following them because it's like an aspirational. I love the way this guy collects. His collection is incredible, and very often, ironically enough, those big collectors end up sparking greater interest in certain brands and certain models. And so, before you know it, a watch that cost fifty thousand at retail is now valued at like hundred thousand dollars plus, and there's like a two or three-year wait list, and that. The only way I could say to get into that space is to get yourself entrenched in the community, understand it, and be smart about it. Just like any type of investment, nobody's going to be trying to lay out a blueprint for you so you could just make money on your own because there are a lot of them out there. That is their intention. They're trying to make some money. I know plenty of people that are making quarter million, half a million, a million dollars a year doing this on the side, just flipping watches. Now, it's not as hot as it was just say six to nine months ago because of just economic conditions. Things have kind of slowed down a little bit. I think that's more of a macroeconomic trend, if I'm being honest. But there's money that's being made there because people are constantly on the hunt and prowl for new pieces that they could potentially sit on and flip for some significant returns.
0: This is all just so interesting. So a couple more questions. If you look at watches as kind of an asset class, a collectibles class or wine or or liquor, trading cards, or whatever. Do each of those have a central marketplace? Like I could go and like I mentioned, eBay before is kind of the place that I thought you could sell anything. You probably don't want to sell your $100,000 watch on eBay, but is there a central marketplace for all of these? And also, are there rules and regulations? Like I know if you're doing real estate, there's a lot of rules and regulations and syndications have the SECs involved and all that. Is that the case with collectibles as well? this is the way I
1: look at it. So every collectible category tends to do better on different platforms. So when you look at collector cars, there's a lot of activity and transactions that happen on a site like bringatrailer.com. They tend to specialize in collector vehicles, some high-end, some middle of the road, but they have a lot of volume. And then you start talking about real auction events for collector cars. That's where the big swinging investments for those Multi-million-dollar vehicles that are looking to win best in class and things of that nature, right? Whereas watches, the market is somewhat fragmented. There's a platform called Chrono24 where a lot of individuals go to this platform to kind of list their watches. To and at scale, you could see the data and get a sense of what the market trends for, for different references are and how the value of these pieces are actually going. There's other sites out there like GetBezel, which is a similar marketplace. Where you could buy watches on the secondary market. But a lot of these are kind of dictated by just transactions that are happening through the platforms themselves. They have it on eBay, but it's, I'd say the Chrono 24s of the world are probably the biggest for watches. And it's no different for other platforms. There's tons of them, like PSA, for instance. They've PSA, they're the ones that do like the grading for trading cards. They recently acquired Golden Auctions about a year or so ago. So they now have their own marketplace for all things collectibles. So you see a lot of the sports memorabilia there, trading cards. So you kind of see a bit of a bifurcation of these different platforms. There's no one platform for all of these categories. There tends to be kind of a natural gravitation to where the communities are kind of engaging the most. Hi, this is Zach Happenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you.
0: If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably already thinking about ways to generate income passively and to reduce your tax burden. But did you know that you can retain more of your W-2 income by investing in oil and gas? As you might know, my income is generally passive. But if you're a high-wage earner who still gets a large portion of your income from a W-2 job, this investment opportunity could help you hold on to more of your hard-earned money, which means you have the chance to make more passive investments. Billy Keels and the team at First Generation Capital Partners are experienced with investing in this sector, and they have a free download available for our listeners who want to learn more. To find out just how much you could save by investing in oil and gas, head to firstgencp.com slash LFI pay less tax and download your free guide. Okay. So I'm going to get in trouble with my wife if I don't ask this question and then we'll move on to the serious stuff. We'll talk about wax. Where do I go to sell my beer can collection for, that I started in 1977? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can help you with that one, buddy. <laughs> I'd ask you to go find other
1: fellow beer can collector enthusiasts (laughs) to see what they do, because that's a space I'm certainly not familiar with.
0: Yeah, I'm not either. And my wife just wants to get rid of them, but I just don't have the heart for it. So rules and regulations. I think we forgot that. Is it just the Wild West? You just sell it on a platform or are there rules and financial rules, governmental rules, anything that's uh, like that?
1: No, there's no regulation. I mean, think about it. You're selling... At the end of the day, we're categorizing these things as collectibles, but they have multiple labels. When you see like a comic book, it could be seen as a collectible very often because it gets fallen into that tranche. We see watches as collectible. Certain components of them are collectible. But at the end of the day, they're also luxury products. And luxury products, depending on the scarcity of how they are kind of managed, the inventory that they have, and by the brands that, that that are out there, it's wild, wild west. The real regulation takes place at the authorized dealer, and what I mean by that is that they have such limited supply that you can't just go into most of these authorized dealers and say, "I would like to buy that one hundred thousand dollar watch," or "I would like to buy that twenty five thousand dollar bag," because the immediate default response from the authorized dealer is who are you? Where is your buying history? And why would I give you access to this piece above people that have been buying from me and my brand for the past X number of years? So this is how the scarcity of these products continue to kind of drive demand in the marketplace, because for a lot of people that are high net worth or even Henry market individuals, high earners, not rich yet, these are individuals that want what they can't get. And it's just a nice little token of status for some of them. And some of them see it as investment, but some of them see it as status. But there's no regulation. It's getting access to these things at retail that's usually the hardest part. Because once it makes it to the secondary market, then you're at the whims of predatory flippers that are trying to make a buck. So that's usually where things could go sideways, where a watch that you spend dollars for. If it's the right hot piece at any given moment, you could buy it in the retail shop and then the next day you could list it on a platform and try to sell it for $20,000, $30,000. And some people might actually bite on that because it's so difficult to get. There's no other way to get access to it unless they have to invest how much money in order to build up a buying history for these
0: authorized dealers. Fascinating. All this is fascinating. So now I want to turn to Wax. What is Wax? What problem is it trying to solve? And just give us an overview of what you're doing at Wax. Sure. So for Wax,
1: we started ourselves out as kind of a pure insure tech play in the sense that we wanted to be geared towards the collectibles services market and be at the center of a collector's journey. We've identified that when it comes to insuring collectibles themselves or luxury items, larger incumbent insurance carriers have a hard time understanding or appreciating the value of these items in the secondary market, which makes sense because the trend of these items, a carrier very often will say, well, just give me a receipt of what you paid for it. It's like, wait, I paid 12, but it's worth 30. Like, What are we talking about? And that has led to a lot of friction in the marketplace. And then that's where we came in introduce a product that it's an app-based experience, answer a couple questions, take a couple photos. We give an instant quote. We have the ability for the individual to pay and then bind all within a minute or two, depending on how large your collection is. And we handle kind of the understanding of the secondary market values. Because we're connected to so many of these secondary market websites, we're pulling tons of data sets. So we feel like we have a pretty good grasp of what the value of these items are, in many cases better than the insurance carriers themselves, because we are ourselves collectors and we've built a tech product that's aligned to making sure that we're reducing the friction for a collector. Think about it, Jim. Like if you're in a situation where you're sitting on a substantial collection, and this was one of our founders when we were first kicking around the idea of wax, he was sitting on a about a $2 million watch collection. And he went to his homeowner's insurance and said, I want to insure my watches. And they basically laughed in his face and said, okay, you're going to have to get all of them praised and send us appraisals. And he's like, wait, so I'm going to take my uninsured collection down to 47th Street, (laughs) expose myself, put myself at risk for $2 million, come back to you. And then you may or may not insure it at that level. So that was kind of the impetus behind Wax coming in and offering a product that's really geared towards the collector's mindset and making sure that it's tech-driven and really rapid to get a quote and bind. Further, our app is designed in such a way that a lot of our collectors in our ecosystem, they have large collections and very often they collect more than just one thing. So it's watches, it's jewelry, it's trading cards, you name it. But it's a lot of different things. And we've created an app that allows an individual to track their collectibles for free. So we don't want to be charging them for the usage of organizing their stuff because it's only beneficial to them. And it's certainly beneficial to us if they have a really clean idea of what they have and what they don't. So we kind of created a a collection management platform that allows them to kind of organize their stuff. And then we are opportunistic enough to basically say, look, once it's in there, we could protect it through insurance we also have a lending product that we kind of launched a few months ago as kind of a pilot program to kind of unlock liquidity and collections that they have, and also physical vaulting. In some cases, these individuals don't want to have all the boxes and papers at their homes for a variety of reasons. And we have a Delaware-based facility where these items can be vaulted there. And it's also a nice balancing act where sometimes they have so many watches or they have so many things they'd rather vault half of it, ensure the rest that they're actually using. And it's just a nice bit of optionality that
0: we offer our clients. That's interesting. So talk more about the collectible based loan. So let's say I have a million dollars worth of beer cans in my beer can collection. And I do the app and I fill it all out. And you tell me how much the insurance costs for my beer can collection. This might not be the best example. So maybe we'll <laughs> switch it to watches. And then I want a loan. So you'll give me cash based off the value of the property.
1: Yeah. So the way it works, it's kind of structured like a a typical collateral-based loan. Now, I will preface that with the interest rate market being what it is. This is a space that we've kind of backed away from a little bit because it's just the interest rates, the cost of capital is so significant. But the underlying context is as follows. Let's just say that you have a watch or a collection that's valued at 100000 We come up with the appropriate LTV or loan-to-value that we think is appropriate for the item. And that could be anywhere from 35 to 65% the value of the item. So let's just say $100,000 watch, we land on 60%. We give you a loan of 60,000 for the item. That item gets sent to our vaulting facility will be physically appraised. It will be analyzed to make sure it is what it's supposed to be. And if everything is kosher, the cash is released, the item is securely vaulted. And then it's just a standard recurring payment to kind of pay off your loan. But it's one of those instances where if you're looking for cash, you're sitting on several hundred thousand dollars in watches in your collection that's collecting dust. It's one of those things where you could put some money to work by unlocking some liquidity in the collection that you actually have.
0: Yeah, That's really neat idea because that's one of the issues with, with these assets is you might really be into watches and you don't necessarily want to sell them. You want to own them, but you also want to not have all your capital tied up. So giving a loan based on that, I think that's just a great idea. So I suppose it has to be whatever you're going to do for that loan has to be something that is enough value or there has to be a large market for it because I assume if they default, you just sell the item or whatever. So it's got to be kind of the large or the frequently collected and tradable kind of item. So can you talk a little bit about maybe what the top five collection asset classes are? I mean, you've mentioned watches and trading cards and things like that, but what are kind of the most popular ones just for our entertainment?
1: I'll tell you a little bit about like, if we look into our digital vault, like right, where our individuals are kind of tracking their stuff within our app, we have about a half a billion dollars worth of stuff that's being organized in there, right? So, this is where people use our app to organize their things. I'd say about half of that is maybe watches, but a good fraction of that is jewelry. Ironically enough, like this is many instances, jewelry is not considered collectible, but the reality is it's complementary to. The service offering that we offer so if we're protecting an individual's watch or their other collectibles very often their significant other may have jewelry and we want to be able to act on that so we have a lot of engagement rings and wedding bands that we actually protect we have a nice fraction of trading cards handbags art sports memorabilia and then an other category which is just it runs i'm talking like vintage shotguns from like the 1600s or like the range, it's so vast. That's why we kind of have it captured in another category because it's a hodgepodge of, of different things.
0: Well, that's good news because I'm sure I'll find someone to buy those beer cans uh, eventually. <laughs> keep at it. Keep at it. <laughs> yeah. So anything else that we need to know about collectibles before we close up here?
1: No. I mean, look, I appreciate you making the time and I know that I'm not the typical guest that's not talking about real estate. So I hope I didn't bore your audience to tears. Uh, What I could say is that very often individuals that are opportunistic and are willing to put in the work to understand how a market works, whether it's collectibles or whatever else, there is an angle to make money. There always is, right? But it's the work that's required to put in because you have to understand and remember that there's a lot of people that have been in this space for a very long time You might think you're about to make a quick one or two X on a particular investment, whether it be a watch or some other collectible, but the individual that's selling it might, they might know something you don't. And that's the competitive advantage of just that knowledge and education. So I would not advise anybody to enter this aggressively or lightly. Passion usually leads the way, but if you are looking to make a buck, there's certainly money to be made in this space.
0: Yeah. And that's why this is interesting to our community. We are investors and it's typically real estate, but we talk about chasing the shiny object and and that's what this is. But it's not a passive thing. But if someone has an interest and is super passionate about watches or beer cans or trading cards or whatever, then this could be for them and it could be a way to make money. So that's why it's always interesting to have something different on the podcast. And so rather than uh, boring anybody, I think this is just fascinating. It's going to be very interesting and very different from our normal podcast. So it'll probably actually be a a relief to everybody to get something new. So the last question I always ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to?
1: So the podcast that I've been obsessed with over the past few months, and it's primarily because I'm in the startup space, right? So I listen to the All In podcast. You've probably, this has probably been recommended in recent months because they've gotten so popular, but that panel is comprised of some top tier VCs, entrepreneurs, investors, They have great chemistry, but it's also one of those things where they go deep in some very complicated investment categories that it helps you think and look at things in a slightly different way.
0: Yeah, I have that one on my playlist as well. That's a good one. So thanks for that recommendation. And then finally, if listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about wax, what's the best way to do that? Well, you could check us out on Instagram,
1: Wax Collect is a quick way to check us out. If you want to engage with me directly, Rich Finhays, just hit me up on LinkedIn. Happy to answer any questions that you might have, but I genuinely appreciate the time, Jim. It's a great time.
0: Yeah, excellent. This was fascinating. And um, I'll put all that in the show notes, including the LinkedIn connection there. So thank you, Rich, for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Of course.
1: My pleasure. Recession Resilient are two words that are heard often when discussing investing in mobile home parks and self-storage. But what does that really mean? And what happens if there's not a recession? At Crystal View Capital, we are vertically integrated and have over 150 employees focusing on assuring our assets perform daily, regardless of market conditions. With over $85 million in distributions paid to investors since 2014, we focus on downside protection upside maximization, and all the hard work in between. If you are an accredited investor and would like to learn more about our current offerings, please visit crystalviewcapital.com or click the link in the show notes.
0: Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left-field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us LFI. Well, that was definitely different and uh, definitely not something that we normally talk about, but I thought it was interesting. There may be some of you out there that have fancy, expensive collectibles like watches, cars, or whiskey collections. I I happen to have beer cans and Star Wars cards and Ohio State football ticket stuff. So if anyone's interested in that stuff, hit me up and I, I can sell you something. It's just an interesting thing. It's a different asset class. There are opportunities there, but I think through that conversation, what I learned is if you're not passionate about whatever it is, be it trading cards or watches like riches then you're probably going to struggle you're probably going to have a hard time and it's the same i compare everything to real estate and if you don't know anything then you need to hire somebody who does and that's what we do when we hire asset managers to manage our investments for us and it doesn't look like that's that's something that you can do really in this space so what do you do if you're passionate about whiskey maybe you start collecting whiskey but you got to start slow and you got to make sure that you're doing it in the right way, as Rich said, because otherwise there's going to be people that have been doing it for years and they're going to take advantage of you. But I did think it was really interesting that you could free up some of the liquidity on these things if you're collecting art or you have any of this. I mean, it's got to have significant value to be worth it. But similar to how we use our whole life insurance or our HELOC to go invest in ATMs or other syndications, if you have a sizable collection, you could do the same thing. Where you're using arbitrage. It's harder now these days with higher interest rates, but maybe it's possible. Probably it's possible. But what was really cool is that Rich found something that wasn't working, him and his team, that you go to your homeowner's insurance and you say, hey, I want to insure these watches. And they just have no idea how to handle it. And that's where a specialty company like Wax comes in. So I thought that was interesting. Interesting podcast, interesting topic. Hopefully uh, you got something out of it. That's all we have for this time. We'll catch you next time in the left field.